What a blessing it is to be able to assemble and to come together, as was already mentioned in prayer, as have so many expressed in sentiments before the services. What a delightful Lord's Day, in fact, that it is, isn't it? As the book of Revelation opens, and John was so privileged and blessed, even he was reminded about the fact that the Lord's Day is so special. On this first day of the week, this first Sunday in the month of August, we certainly are thankful that each of us have been blessed as we are. And I would hope that as you and I make our plans and considerations for today and for their lives throughout this week, we'll always keep God at the center of that and to live in a way that's pleasing and acceptable unto Him. As you know, we here at the Pippin Congregation have challenged ourselves this year to read through the sacredness and fullness of the Word of God. And in fact, at this point, some 683 chapters as of the end of the day yesterday have been completed. And as we concurrently are ending 2 Corinthians in the New Testament and in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, the lessons today will be drawn from those two books of the Word of God. This morning's lesson taken from Psalm 105, verse number 2. That was read just a moment ago, and I would encourage us to reflect on a particular word that occurs in that verse, a word that challenges us in light of what you and I have done already to lift our voices in song and to sing. That verse again says, Sing unto Him, sing psalms unto Him, talk ye of all His wondrous works. As often as you and I talk about the way God has blessed us, encouraged us, and been with us, it's amazing how oftentimes sentiments are so freely shared as to the realization of the blessings of God. And yet, the first part of that verse directs us to consider singing. I'd like for you and me to do that as we look at some passages of Scripture this morning to reflect upon singing psalms unto God. In fact, that very matter perhaps leads to some questions you can see throughout the fullness of that slide. You and I know we are currently engaged in the activity of worship. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 4, verse number 10, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. You and I would never give our attention to worshiping a rock or a mountain or a river. We know that though there have been those in the world in ages past, and maybe even some today who do that, we know through the sunlit glory of the teaching of Christ that our worship is only to be directed to God. And as we think about that, one of the attributes, no doubt, is that of singing. Many of us, as we enjoy singing, we look forward to the opportunity to engage in it. There are some questions, though, that almost immediately could well be asked. Music itself is a broad term, isn't it? Perhaps you have your favorite genre of music. Maybe it's bluegrass. Maybe it's rock and roll. Maybe it's classical. That list could be extended considerably. Our issue today, our immediate question is, does God care what kind of music we have as long as we have some? Beyond that, does He care if we sing along with it? Does it matter to Him? Is it acceptable in every one of those ways? And if not, why not? Might we also appreciate the fact, could we add something to the singing if we like? Does it matter if we do? Does it matter if we don't? Those questions have prompted many discussions and many considerations throughout the decades that have most recently passed. Today, why don't we devote just a few moments and ask those questions again with just a desire to ask what God has to say about any and all of them. 
To do that, might we perhaps appreciate the following. Our New Testament is our, our guide, our only guide, isn't it? We know that the Word of God, Jesus Himself said, The words that I say unto thee, they are spirit and they are life. John chapter 6, verse 63. And as was mentioned earlier, even this morning, Thy word is truth, to borrow the language of John 17, verse 17. It is with those in mind, might I ask you to look at perhaps the following considerations. As you and I turn to those verses in the New Testament, those verses that have a bearing on directly the matter of music and worship, we find that the actual number is relatively limited. You and I know so well God only needs to say something once for it to be viewed and deemed important. But we find that there are a few passages. Might I invite you to consider them with me? First, in Romans chapter 15, verse number 9, the inspired apostle Paul, as he directed consideration on that occasion, he had in mind a tremendous blessing. Let's in fact observe the way that chapter begins and put ourselves into the very context of its presentation. The church in Rome understood the fact that there were differences. There were those who had previously been Jews. There were others who had previously been Gentiles. And we notice as that chapter begins, Paul admonished them to enjoy fellowship one with another to enjoy a unity in their language just in terms of what they taught and a unity in relation to what they viewed in terms of the ways of God. Verse number 6 says that with one mind and one mouth, they were in fact to engage in their service unto God. Notice that three verses later, verse number 9 then says, "...and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written." For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. In the midst of this passage that highlights the exaltation of God, we notice that Paul quotes an Old Testament passage. In fact, you may notice it's taken identically from Psalm 18, verse 49. In the midst of many other verses that might have been used to make mention of various musical instruments, mechanical in nature, Paul quotes one that has only involved singing. And I would ask you to notice the translators as those specialists in language translated that verse from Greek into English. The word sing was carefully employed as that which was the meaning of that ancient word. Perhaps finally I would ask you to notice that a key element is presented in that verse. Let me again ask you to notice, our King James translators use the word confess in it. The more correct and thorough rendering of that is to praise. Question, as one seeks to praise God, how is that done? You and I are about to find as we look at a few other passages that that notion of praise is solidified powerfully in the attributes capable from a human being. It says again, for this cause I will praise thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. We know that you and I are capable of singing. We're capable, in fact, of bringing forth the fruit of our lips in a majestic praise and heartfelt appreciation to God. Keeping it in mind, notice here there has been no consideration that leads us to appreciate any authority for anything beyond vocal presentation. I'll sing praise unto thy name. At that point, please look at another passage. We've looked at one 
What about this passage in the Hebrew letter? Turn over a few books with me to Hebrews chapter 2. In fact, we'll look at two passages out of that book itself. Hebrews chapter 2 begins our discussion. And might I ask that we give a strong understanding to a couple of the words found in that passage. Again, as the banner of Jesus Christ is lifted so high, we notice that that banner is lifted and He is the captain of our salvation. Verse number 10 of this same chapter. He is the one through whom we appreciate He died by the grace of God for all of our sins. Verse number 9. Indeed, He tasted death for every man. Notice in the midst of all of this consideration for which He is so deserving of our worship and our praise and our adoration, it says, verse 12, I will declare Thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto Thee. Again, a quotation from an Old Testament passage, this time drawn from the 22nd Psalm. That psalm is one that in fact highlights the very crucifixion of Jesus. Several attributes about the fact Jesus quoted from it. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Quoted from Psalm 22 verse 1. The nature of the fact he'd be pierced in his side. Quoted also from that very chapter. Notice, no wonder Jesus is so worthy of our praise and adoration. And here that praise is done like this. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. In the midst of the congregation, as an assembly in which you and I are assembled today, it says, I will. What will I do? I'll sing praise unto thee. One more time, we notice in the midst of a congregation, an assembly, in this occurrence we appreciate the opportunity and the setting forth Praising God by song. At this point, you and I know so well that there are many references in the Old Testament to mechanical instruments of music. There's pipes and harps. There's tabrets and many other things mentioned, and yet none of them are quoted. And yet we find here an absolute quotation in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise to thee? When you and I pause to ponder that, doesn't it lead us to some of these considerations? It might be asked, what about the word that appears here? It does say, I will sing. Can that word mean anything other than what it appears to mean to you and to me? The original Greek word is humneo. And you might appreciate that literally means to sing or to sing praise. Later in this same book, in Hebrews 13, 15, we find a verbatim reference to the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto thy name. At this point, might we say, in light of these verses, we have found no authorization for changing that which is the thoroughness of singing, either changing it to something else or adding anything to it. It might be fair to say, what else does God's book have to say for each of us to consider? As we turn the slide to the next one, let me ask you to think about those songs that we just sang a moment ago. Jeff led us as we sang together in such a dramatic fashion about the greatness of our God. That song that you and I sang, wasn't it of that form? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That's a quotation, in fact, from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4 has those very words in it in verses 8 and following. We notice that very first song that we sang, Psalm number 70. 
the opportunity to praise. And notice again, that was a direct quotation. I don't know that Jeff planned it that way, but that's a direct quotation from the book of Psalms. Psalm number 148, beginning in verse number 1. As you think about all those, let's carry the thought a bit further. In 1 Corinthians, Paul also had some matters to address with the Corinthian congregation touching these subjects before us today. Let me invite you to turn to that as we look at verse 15 of that chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, only verse number 15. In that place, Paul wrote, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. We notice again that here was a Corinthian church, different from the Hebrew one, different in location at least to the one we mentioned earlier in the Roman letter. But yet here we find to that congregation, Paul had these words to say. It was a particular group of people who were meeting, and as they met, it says, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. That does remind us, doesn't it, about the attribute of prayer, that it should encompass a degree of understanding and a degree of spirit. We should understand what it is that we're praying. As that gentleman leads us in prayer, it should ever be mindful that we should have our mind attuned to what is being uttered so that at the proper time we can at least give an appreciation to an amen. But furthermore, you'll notice, pray with the Spirit, pray with the understanding. It then goes on to say, I will sing in a similar fashion. I'll sing with the Spirit, and I'll sing with the understanding. These words that we have just sung together, what lovely thoughts, what powerful preaching in many ways was done by virtue of those songs. And now it says, I'll sing with the Spirit. Was your spirit and mind attuned in those songs? Were we enthusiastically and eagerly participating? It is a command, isn't it, of the New Testament to sing. I am not at liberty to stand there and just listen. If I can at all, I need to voice my expression unto God, worshiping it by way of song. It is true, isn't it, that worship is not a spectator activity. You and I are to be participants, and we should enjoy every moment of that participation. It goes on to say, I'll sing with the understanding. As you and I uttered the words of those songs, did we understand what we were saying? Was our mind attuned to the thoughts and appreciations expressed in them? That is the intent of this passage, isn't it? Worship is such a lovely enterprise might I ask you to notice, in light of that passage, our feeling, our emotion is in it. There are those who the centuries have, in fact, dubbed you and I as members of the Church of Christ as an emotionless, lifeless worship service. Nothing could be further from the truth. When our heart is in it, when our thoughts, our understanding, our feeling is in it, it's very moving and it is very meaningful. You and I have so often been able to leave the premise of worship and say, I'm thankful to God I was able to be there. I've been encouraged, and I have worshipped God as a result of my activity and participation there. Isn't it true that perhaps one last consideration? We find again an emphasis upon the word sing. 
I'll sing with the Spirit. I'll sing with the understanding. The Greek word does not allow anything else other than singing. No mechanical accompaniment. No considerations otherwise than that vocal expression of that which is your heart and mind. As we've looked at these verses so far, there seems to have been a commonality, a unity. Let's look even further. It may well be that the passage to which our minds most quickly turned was the Ephesians 5 passage. I've asked you to consider that one with me next in some detail. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 19. As you give thought to the presentation of this verse, I think it wise to say that perhaps in strength the following statement is worthwhile. If mechanical musical instruments are to be found in worship anywhere, this is the verse. So I would ask that you and I study it with care and look at it with depth and appreciate it for exactly what it does say. If they are not found here, they are found nowhere in all of the Bible in the New Testament. Let us look then at Ephesians 5. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We're familiar with the fact that the Ephesian epistle, in fact, centered upon the church. The central theme of the book of Ephesians is the church of Christ. He, he mentions its head in chapter 1. He discusses the nature in chapter number 4 of its platform of unity. He highlights the nature of working relationships in it in chapter 3. You notice here in chapter 5, he comes to an appreciation in which he makes this observation. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As that verse begins that way, I've tried to invite you to look at it piece by piece and ask ourselves, what do those words mean and what do they emphasize? What do they permit and what do they not? First, speaking to yourselves. The verb to speak literally means to say. It is that which is again done by vocal usage and expression of the human frame. Speaking to whom? To yourselves. To a group assembled who are able with ears to hear that which has been spoken and said. Speaking to yourselves. You'll notice he next identifies that which is spoken. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. As we think about those three things listed, Jeff has led us again in songs that so often directly made usage of these psalms of Scripture. As you look at the appreciations of them, it incorporates psalms of the Old Testament. We've done that twice this morning. It incorporates songs of praise, the literal meaning of the word hymns. And it also presents spiritual odes or hymns, the literal meaning of the phrase spiritual songs. As you and I sing the various songs in that book, we notice that they fall into these categories of admonishing, praise to God, bringing to us a consideration relative and touching the very nature of God and that which He's done for us and that which He promises to do for us. All of that takes us to the considerations of the very bottom. Notice then the next word that Paul uses by inspiration is this one. Singing. Again, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing is what is next listed. That word is a participle in the Greek language. 
That means it carries with it a continuance of action, singing. And you'll notice the literal word is ado. That Greek word means to sing. Simple and straightforward. It means to sing. We thus appreciate we have the full authority and scripture of heaven to appreciate you and me participating in worship by way of singing. Singing psalms, singing spiritual songs, singing hymns. As that attribute of singing is carried forth, there are a number of other questions, it seems, that fairly might be asked as we continue to look at that verse. For you'll notice he says, singing and making melody. And here we find the particular word in Greek that is the one that has been the source of seemingly so much discussion, debate, and controversy. This word making melody, what is it? It would appear from the easy consideration that it allows something to be viewed different from singing, for singing has already been mentioned. Does this word then allow the playing of an instrument? Does it allow any other kind of presentation of music, whatever the form may be? Well, first, let's look at the word itself. The Greek word is solo, P-S-A-L-L-O, solo. And that word has a very intriguing history. Is one traces its origin through the ancient Greek culture. Such writers as Plutarch and others were able to use the word, and perhaps by the context, we appreciate some conclusions. First of all, might I ask you to note this. It does incorporate and include the matter of singing. In fact, that's the first thing that might be mentioned in relation to it. But then we notice to sing a hymn of praise, to sing praise. And that definition that I have presented to you is one that was taken from lexicons such as the Freiburg lexicon, as well as one attribute of the Thayer lexicon. But might I ask you to note this interesting history? I promised you it had one. From the earliest times, this word solo literally invoked and involved the matter of twitching, to twitch something, to twang something, to, in fact, move something. And the word, it seems, was such that as that word developed over the centuries, it developed an appreciation of specifying always that which was twitched or twanged along with it. So a lady might twitch her hair as she combed it. Or a particular person might twang a harp as he played it. But in all those instances, as that word was employed, the object that was twitched was, of course, always mentioned. For otherwise, the word was broad. It's much like the word baptism in that sense. Think about the word baptizo with me. The Bible uses that a number of ways. One could be baptized in the Holy Spirit. One could be baptized in water. One could be baptized in fire. One could be baptized in suffering. Unless the particular object is mentioned, there is a broadness attached to the term. The same came to be true relative to this word, solo. And hence, as the inspired apostle utilized the word we look for, that which was twanged in the verse itself, what was being twitched? What was it that was being played, if you will? Let's look even further as you appreciate that this particular subject before us was a subject of monumental debate. I use the word monumental because it took place very near to all of you and me here. In the summer of 1923, there was a debate, a discussion held between N.B. Hardiman 
and Brother Ira Boswell. And as these two entered into discussion, it was about the very subject of Ephesians 5.19. Can you imagine a week-long debate in which the intricacies, the systematics, the language, the conclusions from this verse were drawn out and discussed for that length of time? Needless to say, one of the combatants was desirous of proving from that verse that mechanical musical instruments are perfectly valid and authorized in Scripture. The other, from that verse, as well as a host of others, presented the fact it is not authorized. That debate is still in print. If you have questions about it, you might want to see if you can get a copy. It's very inexpensive. It is a pretty lengthy book, I might suggest, and it'll take a while to work your way through it. But if I might summarize it, it went like this. Mr. Boswell set forth the idea that to twitch or twang clearly means you can play some instrument. Mr. Hardiman conceded that in the first few moments of the first night of the, of the, of the presentation. That's always been involved in the word. The point is you have to specify what is being twitched. Mr. Boswell claimed an instrument was allowed, an instrument mechanical in character. Mr. Hardiman so deftly and clearly illustrated that not only is that not the case, but other portions of Scripture are contradicted by any such interpretation. In other words, this verse does not mean anything other than singing. In fact, quite often God uses an appositional character to highlight one aspect and then reaffirming it a verse or two or even a word or two later. That's what has happened here, isn't it? To sing. Please look at how it continues. Paul does mention the instrument that's played. Singing and making melody with the heart. I might ask you to notice in Greek the preposition is with, not in. It is with the heart that this twitching takes place. And as you and I play the heart and strum it, if you please, our vocalness and our presentation does, in fact, bring forth that which is the desire, the plan, and the will of God. Maybe in thoroughness you can close that by looking at it this way. This verse says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You might notice the word and joins the solo and the sing. Notice that and then does not make either one of them optional. And may I say, if solo incorporates mechanical instruments of music, then that means every one of us has to play one. It is not enough not to play one if that verse with the and utilized enforces the thought of the mechanical instrument. I know of no one who would take that position but yet the language would demand it. At this point, isn't it true, as we close that slide, we have found not a single authorization yet for a mechanical instrument of music and worship. At this point, our list is becoming very, very thin. There aren't many more verses to be mentioned, but here is another. Colossians 3, verse number 16, is a sister passage to this Ephesians 5 passage. But I would ask that you notice it does mention things in a very powerfully distinct way that highlights your appreciation in mine. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. 
you can see some similarity, but also some noteworthy differences. First, an emphasis upon letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Our desire is to not go beyond this in any way. For we know a condemnation found so strongly in Scripture in 2 John 9 for those that do that. But beyond that, appreciate that Word of Christ that dwells within us. It says, teaching and admonishing one another. You and I know that in the aspect of worship, teaching is done in a number of ways. There's preaching, but there are the attributes that we find in those songs that we have also sung today. But notice teaching and admonishing. A musical instrument cannot teach anything. A mechanical instrument of music cannot admonish in any way. It's lifeless. Paul even said that in 1 Corinthians 14, 7, that in fact this organ, this particular instrument that might be mentioned, it is a lifeless thing. And yet what is commanded of us here is to involve teaching and admonishing, and this is how it's done. With psalms, with hymns, with spiritual songs. A direct quotation similar to that we found in Ephesians 5, 19. As you think about that attribute, notice what comes next. Paul then says, singing. Singing. Same word, ado, as you and I noted earlier. As you think about this singing, we have found a number of verses that encourage us, that demand us to open our mouths, to lift our voices, and to sing unto God. That matter of singing comes near the close of that slide. And you operate the notion of grace. Singing with grace in your heart. How often do you and I appreciate the grace of God? And notice how frequently the Bible mentions it. It was one of Paul's favorite phrases, wasn't it? Grace be unto you and peace from God our Lord Jesus Christ. Those words are found near the beginning of every epistle Paul wrote. Might we say, as you and I then sing and do so with grace, is an exciting consideration to think about the simplicity of God's music and worship. A simplicity that you and I can highlight as we close that verse and appreciate this. We have looked at every verse in the New Testament that makes mention of music and worship. There are no others. Whatever conclusions we reach must be drawn with directness from these. What are the conclusions? First, music is important in worship. But the music, as you can see, has been with me unaccompanied singing. Unaccompanied singing. No mechanical instruments, no choirs, no special music, no praise teams. Unaccompanied singing as Christians thankfully lift up their voices in song. Beyond that, that instrument that you and I play is the heart and no other. That has been the thorough conclusion of Ephesians 5.19. And we notice each of us must then, with the authority of God, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We do so with our understanding. We do so, of course, in spirit. And finally, we appreciate that in so doing, we not only magnify and exalt God's name, but we teach and we admonish each other. What a blessing it is to be able to sing. As often as we meet... We always include singing every time for reasons we've learned today. And we even look forward to a singing night, the second Wednesday of each month. Special, special night indeed when we have the opportunity to focus on singing. 
I hope as we've studied these attributes this morning, they've taken us back to Psalm 105, verse number 2. Sing unto Him. As you and I do that with enthusiasm and with conviction, we have the opportunity to appreciate it is a commandment. Today, as we reflect upon then this attribute of worship, may we conclude the lesson by, again, appreciating the importance of it. Making sure we're always present if health and circumstances do not in some way prevent it. And as we are there, we participate with the fullness of our spirit. That includes our singing. Today, if there might be an individual here that's not a Christian... Your songs unto God at this point are not an open praise to Him, for you've rejected His word. You have not obeyed that which His Son commanded. His Son commanded that for you to be a Christian, you must believe Him to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His name as the only begotten Son of God, and be baptized in order that He, of course, would forgive your sins. This very day, if you would need that to be done in your life, don't delay. Let this day be that very special, colossal day for you. If you have become a member of the body of Christ, you've been cleansed from sin, brought into fellowship with the Lord, but you have not been faithful. Come back to your first love today. The Bible tells us that if you will simply confess and make repentance of those things, God will forgive you. Let us pray to God on your behalf. If we could be of help to anybody in the audience today, please use this as an opportune time to let us know those needs and do so while together we stand and while we sing.